Regardless of your opinion of how this last week has gone, how the results of this election have gone, it's obvious to everyone that our nation is in dire need of healing. It's probably fair to say that neither side wanted to see a victory with the kinds of margins that we're now seeing in our country. These margins have brought forth this this vitriolic emotion, these accusations of, of criminality. And I don't know if you're on social media. If you're not on social media, stay that way. Uh, don't, don't get on it. It's, it's horrible. Uh, if you are on it, you've probably seen comments like this. If you voted for so-and-so, it's time for you to excuse yourself from my life. Uh, like I said, there's, there's just a lot of vitriol that's out there. And there's a lot of confusion and fear and suspicion. Uh, and a lot of people wondering, when in the world is anything going to level out in this country? It's as if all of 2020 has this permanent dark fog, this, this cloak of midnight that is over everything. And again, that's not a comment on who won or didn't win or whatever. That's just simply a state of kind of the emotional feeling in our country right now. We're hoping for this fog just to miraculously evaporate, it would seem. Well, things are pretty strange in the life of the church as well right now. So last week, we, we celebrated the, the beautiful feast day of All Saints Day, and, and the memory of that is now moving into the backs of our rearview mirror. And now the church calendar, our Sunday readings, as you've probably noticed, now shift to a minor tone. You probably heard that in the readings. The stories from today that we read from all three scriptures contain trumpet blasts, contain empty supplies, People who are lost, people who are scared, people who are staring up into the sky wondering what's happening. We even heard a great litany of divine disappointment in the people of God. So if you think that I chose this text as some sort of um, passive-aggressive comment on our political situation, then you're wrong. These are the lessons that have been the historical assignments for this particular day, the Sunday after All Saints Day. It's the tradition of the church on this Sunday to begin to prepare our hearts for what's just around the corner. You see, Advent, Advent, the season of Advent, is just three weeks away. And so now these readings start to prepare our hearts for it. Some even call this season that we're now in pre-Advent. Yes, it's still ordinary time. No, it's not Advent yet. But we're starting to hear illusions of Advent And for some of you, this is actually your first time in an Anglican, in a liturgical church going through the season of Advent. And so I have to warn you, as uh, Fleming Rutledge says, Advent is not for the faint of heart. Advent begins in the dark. Advent is the midnight of the church calendar. This is a season in which we sit right next down to the prophets and we get cozy with them. And we hear from them, and we hear their desperation for the Lord God. The psalmist says this in Psalm 80, Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And then the prophet Isaiah, he, as he looks into the dark fog of night, he cries out, O God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. In all of 2020, has there been any moments in which you've prayed like that? Oh God, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. If you haven't prayed that way at some point over 2020, I would 
question your heart. I would question whether or not you're paying attention and seeing what's going on in our world right now. And I would say that, man, we need the season of Advent this year. We need to learn from those ancients of the faith. Not only does Advent prepare us for the celebration of Christmas, that is when God came the first time, we will remember and we will celebrate the incarnation, of course, but also Advent prepares us for the second coming of God himself. When Jesus, the judge, the king of the cosmos, comes down, when the sky will be rolled back like a scroll and Christ will descend, when he will vanquish evil and darkness forever, and he will unite heaven and earth. And today's parable, the parable of the ten virgins, in this parable, Jesus wants to make sure that you and I, brothers and sisters, are ready for such a moment, because it will come. So this is a fairly straightforward parable, The parable of the ten virgins or bridesmaids, uh, some wise, some foolish, and they're waiting for the groom to come. And when he comes, he will come through the town in a great procession. It will be a beautiful thing. It will be a marvelous thing. People have been talking about this for a long time. And all those who have invitations are getting giddy with excitement because they want to to get in that procession as well. They want to follow the groom to those great festivities. And the ten virgins, these aren't just normal guests. No, they're holding invitations. Well, yes, they are holding invitations to the feast, but they're bridesmaids. They're they're attendants to the bride. They're there to make sure that, that she is presented in all of her glory and radiance. You see, these virgins represent you and me, the purified, purchased people of God. And the groom, obviously, is Jesus Christ the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He is our Lord who at the closing of the age will meet his people and he will welcome them into a new creation. Hallelujah. So in this story, the bridesmaids wait for the groom and they wait 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 and then they all, 10 of them, fall asleep Now, you might be tempted to think that this is somehow a a slight against delicate femininity, uh, you know, to say that these virgins fell asleep. But please be reminded that when Jesus was in the garden and he asked his big, burly disciples to stay awake with him as he prayed, they couldn't do it either. These burly fishermen fell asleep on Jesus, too. You see, all of us, brothers and sisters, are fragile, forgetful, sleepy people. Sometimes have to cough. Sure enough, in the middle of the night, a messenger runs through the streets, screaming, yelling, hollering that now's the moment. This is what everybody has waited for. He runs, saying the groom is finally on the way. Now, you might be wondering as you hear that, like, what kind of groom comes at midnight? Like, what a strange element to this parable. Well, that's certainly intentional on Jesus' part. You see, what Jesus wants to tell all of us is that the arrival, his arrival, when he comes again, is going to be shocking. It's going to be unexpected. It's going to be almost painfully unexpected. Reminds me of what we read in Amos this morning. That when God comes again to visit his people, it will be like a man who who flees a lion and then finds himself face-to-face with a bear. Or a person who comes home quickly after a hard day's work and is panting and he leans up against the wall only to see that a snake has come into his house and is there waiting for him. The day of the Lord will come abruptly. It'll come without warning. 
And it will be a day that comes to every single one of us. And so the ten bridesmaids, they snap awake. And they start to get to work on their lamps, preparing it, trimming their lamps. Because when the groom comes, it is absolutely imperative that they have light ready. They need to be able to see him. You see, it's an extremely dark world out there. They don't have any REI, uh, LED headlamps, you know. There's no street lights that the city just installed. No, it's all up to their oil lamps that they have. And they don't want to be tricked into following someone else who's not the groom. And if they do find the groom, they want to make sure that they actually stick to the path. They don't want to be um, accidentally wander off to a different thing. So it's absolutely imperative that they have a good light. Well, the five who are wise, they're ready for this moment. They know that this moment's coming. And so they reach down into their satchel or wherever, and they pull out this extra stash of oil, this oil stock, and they top off their lamps. And they know that they're going to be sustained and and have enough time. Uh, it kind of reminds me of these sort of movies that I would watch uh, when I was a teenager, these, these racing movies where the hero always, you know, he's like falling behind and, and others are passing him. The finish line is coming up. And then what do they do in these goofy uh, street racing movies? You know, they always like lift down and they, they push a secret button with like nitrous oxide and it just sends their car just like zipping up and passing. That's kind of how I envision these wise women here. You know, they're like, they've got the secret button, they push it and then they're able to succeed. They're able to win the race. But then you've got the foolish bridesmaids who they have no extra fuel in their pack. There's no oil that they have. They did not plan ahead. There's nothing that's been intentional about their thinking so far. You see, if they were excited for the feast to come, they would have obsessed over it. They would have thought through every single possible scenario that could possibly risk them being able to make it. And so they would think about, they should have been thinking about this and preparing for every single situation that's out there. So if you're a, a, an Eagle Scout or a Boy Scout, what's, what's one of the famous mottos of Boy Scouts? <laughs> Thank you. We get it in song. Thank you, Larry. Yes, always be prepared. Always be prepared. And why is a Boy Scout always prepared? Is it because they want to have a really, really heavy backpack and just be burdened everywhere they go? No, it's because they do not want to be pulled away from the adventure that's before them. They want to be able to climb any mountain. They want to be able to, to jump over any stream. They want to make sure that their, their shoes always hold tight. They want to make sure that if they scrape themselves, that they have the way to bandage themselves. The, what they have done is they have obsessed over every single scenario because of their love for the adventure. And what we're seeing in this story is that these five foolish bridesmaids, they don't love the adventure as much. They haven't thought about it as much. They haven't obsessed over it as much. They haven't obsessed and dreamed about this feast and the groom and the party as much. Otherwise, they would have been prepared for this moment. They wouldn't have been left behind. But here they are, out of their lack of love, their lack of thoughtfulness, are missing out on the feast. And so what do they do? They beg their friends, say, hey, give us some of your oil. Give us some of yours. But that, as we know, would lead to tragedy for all 10 of them. They'd burn through their oil twice as quickly. There wouldn't be any left, and all of them would be left in the darkness. No, and so the foolish ones are instructed, go back to the store and get your own oil and pray to God you're fast enough. Well, as you might expect, that is precisely when the groom comes by in his procession. The wise ones get in line, and they follow, and they go to the feast. But the foolish ones, 
are left outside, not allowed into the wedding feast. And Jesus concludes, I imagine him looking into the eyes of his disciples saying, watch therefore, be prepared. This will come quickly. Watch, be prepared. And so we, the people of God, the church, we listen to these words and we wait. We wait for hours and we wait for days and we wait for years and months and millennia. On and on we wait for our king to come. As the apostle Peter says, According to the promises of God, we wait for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, in which beauty dwells, in which justice dwells. We wait. So I've got two questions for us as we think about this this story. First question is this. What is in your lamp? What's in your lamp? What's in your reserve stock? Where do you go to fill yourself up? How do you fill your tank? What's the fuel that you have access to? Because friends, the nights are long. The nights are dark. The nights are cold. They're so dark that you can't even see two feet in front of your own face. And so when despair creeps into your life, either because of a a dire prognosis, or maybe because layoffs have come your way, or maybe because your your, uh, candidate didn't win, or whatever, maybe a loved one walks out on you, What is it that keeps your lamp burning? What is it that you go and you fill yourself up with? Well, throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible, oil is used to symbolize the presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that it is only the grace of the Holy Spirit which will sustain you through this life and give you entrance into the next. Whereas the theologian Bart says, the oil of the lamps is the witness of the Holy Spirit. See, friends, like a sweet-smelling oil, God the Spirit marks us as his own. He heals and binds our wounds. He illuminates the path in front of us, and he points our attention to the groom who is coming. The Holy Spirit, he stirs our hearts, and he fuels us by, by the teachings of the Holy Scriptures. He prompts our souls to seek after him in the secret place in prayer He draws us into the fellowship of other believers where we can borrow the faith of one another. And he inspires us for radical acts of service, of loving our neighbors in a passionate way. The Holy Spirit is that endless supply of oil. And so friends, whenever you feel frantic in this life, whenever you feel tired in the middle of the night, whenever that dark fog comes over us, then just ask the Lord for more of his spirit. Because as you've heard me say before, that is a prayer that he loves to answer. He loves to pour out his Holy Spirit on us and sustain us through the night. He will abundantly provide. My second question is, do you desire the groom? Do you desire the groom? You know, in many ways, it feels like we are in the darkness of midnight. And again, I don't mean that just purely because of the election. I mean it because of the whole litany of experiences that we're all in right now. When we hear of the tragedies that are going on in this world, you know, surely you're like me and you wonder, where is the groom? Where is the Christ? How much longer will we tarry? Well, friends, as we hear these scriptures, may you hear the voice of Christ speaking you today, saying, don't lose hope. Or the Apostle Paul saying, be encouraged. He is coming. In fact, we proclaim it every single week at this table. We say Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. 
That is a mystery of faith that we declare over and over again every week to encourage ourselves and to remind ourselves of the realities of the closing of the age that will come. And as we read in verse 10 of of this Matthew passage, those who were ready, they went with him to the feast. Oh, I just hope that makes your heart swell. To be with him in the feast. Oh, that we might feast with Jesus, friends. And I love the reading from, from 1 Thessalonians today. Because you just hear this giddiness coming out in Paul's words. You hear his longing and his yearning and his hope for the return of Christ. Paul says, The Lord himself will descend with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet, and we will be caught up together with him, together to meet the Lord. And get this, he says, And we will always be with the Lord. So encourage one another with these words. So friends, there is a day coming in which we will feast with him. No more threats of terror. No more corrupt politicians. No more plagues or pestilence. No more masks that we have to cloak ourselves with. No more wounded bodies that hold us back. No, as we say every week, we shall see our Lord face to face and we will feast with him. So do you long for the coming of the king? So friends, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be sustained because that is the true oil and nothing else will carry us through the dark nights or give us entrance into the coming kingdom. Fill yourself with the Holy Spirit and be encouraged because the king will come. Please pray with me. Oh, King Jesus, we long for you. We hear these stories, Lord, and we, we want you to come and we want you to roll out your justice. We want to see it overflowing into our lives, into the world around us. So please come quickly, Lord Jesus, and pour out your Holy Spirit upon us that you might find us prepared for you so that we can join you in that great feast. We love you, Lord, and it's in your holy name that we pray these things. Amen.